conversation gladly And I'm hoping oh so badly You can show me Who is Scott Daddy? Hey, welcome everybody to Who is Sky Daddy? Uh, channel where we are on the hunt for supernatural claims, um, God beliefs, and anything of the sort. Today I'm talking with my guest. His name is Alan Day, and he calls himself a panentheist. So, welcome, Alan. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Um, <clears throat> if you don't mind, I'll just do a couple announcements here and then we'll jump right into it. So if you're watching live, um, want to let you guys know that I now have this on podcast format as well. So if you are driven nuts by the fact that I like to touch my beard, you can just go listen to the audio instead. Um, and yeah, please give me a subscribe and a like to the video if you haven't already. Um, all right, Alan, if you want to just, uh, give us a description kind of, of, of your background, how you were raised religiously and how you got to where you are now. Yes. Uh, big, um, history there. So, <laughs> yeah, man, I appreciate you having me here. Uh, um, the beginning of my religious background, kind of a half and half, uh, blend between uh, Baptist churches on my mother's side and uh, Catholic beliefs on my uh, father's side. Uh, and, you know, went through some situations where, you know, they divorced and I was uh, one of the childs that went every other weekend with my father, right? So mm -hmm. I had experiences, you know, with both. Um, and I also had to grow up in a family that wasn't very open and accepting um, of people of other backgrounds, of other races. So I had a lot to contend with as a kid uh, mentally to try to say, to, you know, I, I said to myself often, something isn't right about this. Um, I can't quite put my hand, uh, finger on it. You know, what doesn't feel right? But it's what began my journey of exploration, you know, uh, self-reflection, uh, the process of looking in the mirror and saying, and, you know, to myself, well, who am I, you know, in this place uh, and what is my place in this universe? Yeah. And I had to shed a lot. Uh, I didn't I never had any personal prejudices, you know, myself. Um, I literally, my entire life, growing up the way I did, there are certain things that I never, ever felt comfortable with, and I never engaged in, right? So um, I had this prompting of conscience, if you will, naturally to myself that not everything is good here. This, uh, my mom's you, uh, treatment of, like, you know, black people are yeah. uh, attitude towards other religions. It's not right. So yeah. I began reading as a kid heavily. And that was what really broke the barrier, 
between me and the outside world. I was very sheltered as a kid, homeschooled, half of the uh, from like fourth grade onward. So I didn't have a lot of outside experience and reading, engaging with uh, literature was my kind of an escape mechanism and also a, uh, a way to go to those places that I couldn't go. Yeah. To experience those people that I uh, wouldn't be able to meet. Uh, along the way, too, you know, as I grow, as I grew older, um, I started to face challenges with my self-identity. And, of course, growing up in a religious background, being a gay man, no, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, and to make the doubly worse, <laughs> one of my first um, out-of-the-box research projects was the ferry. Like you're talking about Irish and European oh, mythology, right? Yeah, um, not the cutesy Tinkerbell stuff. A lot of people have a misconceptions. Uh, think more Hellboy Guillermo uh, Toro that will rip your face off. You know? Yeah, it's kind it's of bad. horror a little bit, isn't it? The old myth. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It, it, and those they're natural forces. They're reflective of natural forces. You know that's how nature is it can be beautiful but it can be terrifying at the same time there again is that paradox that we're dealing with you know where on one hand something appears appears good and on the other it appears evil quote unquote you know yeah uh, we're the ones that judge and assess those things so uh, not to get on a rabbit trail but i don't think that any god or any deity has any uh, overarching influence. There are promptings from literature and from from the avatars that have came to us to push us to the right path. Um, but there's nothing overarching over any of us to say, well, you have to believe this, you have to do this to be able to follow the right path or be good. Right? Yeah, and so, it's us that um, these... Sorry, mm -hmm. if I could just cut in here quick. Uh, the... What I what stuck out to me most when I was reading your comments on TikTok and stuff was when you mentioned the avatars. I thought that was kind of a cool word that, you know, they're kind of ad avatars and um, guidance for us to look up to. Um, but I want to back up just a little bit. I'm curious. Uh, we don't have to go too far down the rabbit trail, but w you said you were raised homeschool. So... Um, did did, we, did you get taught like creationism and stuff like that, or was it was it science that's in standard schools curriculum? I did get taught creationism. Um, however, you know, like I said, I was homeschooled only from the fourth grade onwards, so I did have a public school education before that, and I was familiar with you know, uh, scientific theory, natural selection, uh, Darwinian uh, theory, and all of that, to a certain degree, as any third grader can be. <laughs> yeah, so would you say now at this point you're kind of on board with the scientific consensus, or where do you stand there as far as creation goes? Well, like I said, I, I come from kind of a blended background in my own personal studies, and uh, one of my first 
religions or rather spiritualities that I started studying was theosophy. And yeah, it has a whole controversial background, you know, of its own, which, you know, I won't go into, but even, even, uh, even Charles Manson could speak truth, you know, so take truth where you can get it. Yeah. So the originator of theosophy was Helena uh, Blavatsky. And she had this theory that basically boils down to that there is a middle ground between uh, creationism and scientific uh, evolution, uh, where uh, God is basically a part of the process of evolution, that what we think of as God or inspiritization uh, is what inspires that upward spiral of movement, of change that we call evolution, to, to better oneself. Uh, so there, for me, I found an answer in that. And although I wouldn't stick with theosophy because of its background, that is one idea that I was drawn to that gave me an answer. You could call a compromise between the two. Okay. Um, for me, it was just an answer to answer my own internal conflict. I think that's all that we can really do is like try to answer our own internal dialogues. Sure. And uh, so when you say kind of a compromise between the two, is it more like you, you accept like the the old earth kind of big bang, all that type of stuff? You just think that there was also or is also a creator involved or do you have discrepancies with if with the big bang and like kind of all? Yeah, basically scientific consen consensus. I don't have any problem with the Big Bang. Um, here's my dogs barking. I don't have any problem with the Big Bang. Um, I, you know, scientists can't literally see into the past, so we don't. None of us know exactly how it occurred. Right. Uh, but there was a. I do believe there was a. Uh, what's the word? Uh, impressive beginning at some point to this universe at least uh to this reality that we live in okay so uh you know i i don't i don't reject the theory at all i think that there is some validity to it uh but the thing is i do think that something existed before that right and it was likely more abstract uh less concrete to put our finger on and be able to define yeah but something pre-existed pre this world and this world basically arose from that yeah uh, that's where we kind of get into the greek philosophy of thought forms existing in another universe with platonism this one, right yeah yeah cool i i just kind of wanted to gauge where you were at there um and I, I actually agree that I think there was uh, some sort of something before the Big Bang. And even as an atheist and complete naturalist, I think that um, there was probably some sort of natural forces or like quantum fields and whatnot before, before the Big Bang. Um, I just don't, uh, I guess I don't uh ascribe the belief of like a mind or um kind of creativity behind it but i do think this is where every single worldview 
get stuck. Basically, even if you believe in a god, there's that still doesn't explain why there's a god in the first place, you know, something rather than nothing. Right, and, and that's a that's a huge question. And I'll begin there with saying I don't have all the answers for that. You know, uh, only someone that is theoretically on the same level mentally as God could even grasp the concept of what was before, how everything that we experience now began. Uh, so I don't have all the answers for that. I do think that at that point when you don't have all the answers, we should deal with the present. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and no, believing myself that regardless of where it began, you know, how it began, there is something that we call divine within nature that inspires nature to change evolutionary. Um, so, uh, take that as uh, sorry, I was going to say before we get um, deeper into that, if you wouldn't mind just kind of explaining for the audience what exactly panentheism means to you. Uh, so, first we have to explain what uh, its kind of background, part of where it came from, and some of the confusion between that and other terms. So we'll begin with what monotheism is, the belief that God is outside of ourselves and is absolute, right? And so pantheism believes that God is completely involved, self-identified with nature. And there's nothing outside of nature, even if nature is divine. So panentheism, once again, finds a a compromise between the two. So God and the world are not necessarily separate or completely transcendent from each other. Uh, so basically it reflects a philosophical urge to balance those transcendent and imminent properties of the divine by respecting and preserving aspects of God's transcendent self-identity uh, while also uh, promoting a deep sense of uh, intimacy between God and the universe uh, and involvement where God is a part of our growth, even our suffering. God experiences our, our sufferings, not outside of it, um, with but us. Does it kind of fit into the same same thought as, you know, as far as our consciousness goes, we're basically all the same substance, kind of like a fragmented uh, consciousness into multiple different animals and whatnot. Does does that fit into it? Sort of. Um, now I'm going to borrow an analogy here because a lot of other pantheists and panentheists also uh, draw an analogy between our theoretical nature of body, soul, and spirit, and that the universe is also uh, reflective of that. There's a body, the, the physical universe that we see, and there's a soul to the universe, and there's a spirit to the universe. Uh, so, um, with... <clears throat> 
I have to think about this for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Some complicated topics. It really is. Um, so, well, and did you like did you like reword the question? You know? Yeah. So when I uh, initially left Mormonism, I kind of was on some soul searching and. I, I dove into all sorts of different spirituality practices and whatnot. And um, I remember back then, one of the major ones that really stuck with me was that we are all basically the same consciousness. It's all one being, but we're just fragmented and dispersed into these different animals and humans. Um but ultimately, like after we die or whatever, it's all just the same, same energy. That's what I, I don't, I don't believe that anymore. But I was just wondering if that type of concept fit in with panentheism. It does. A lot of people uh, that goes back to monism. Monism is the root um, of pantheism, panentheism, pandeism. Um, which is kind of a belief that God self-sacrificed himself to become the universe in a mm. creative act. Uh, they all point to this singular substance uh, that everybody came, came from. Uh, I mentioned even Charles Manson before he said that everything is one, you know, so um, not that he's a, a biblical preacher, but even the most evil people in our society recognize this, right? Uh, yeah. I use an analogy with the physical body. Look at everything that happens within our physical body. You have all these cells and molecules and all these. I'm not a biologist or whatever, but doing my best to explain it. But all of these unconscious entities, if you will, within us. Right. And they do have a degree of intelligence, but only within their um range of operation they do what they need to do right and but here we are being formed of all of these unconscious beings grouped together and we're having an uh, an intelligent discussion yeah and so i see that the universe outside of ourselves as above so below a lot like that we despite our intelligence we're like the molecules, or rather the particle zoo, in uh, a molecule floating around in God. You know, we can only operate within our sphere, and we're a part of that, right? Just as much as the cells in our body are a part of us, okay. uh, and is a part of our, our substance. Um, but we can only understand uh, what we need to understand to do uh, what we what we do on our sphere, right? We can't understand anything out of the outside of that completely. The cells in our body don't pray to us, so right, and we don't ask them to. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I kind of want to bring up what I think our our biggest disagreement here probably is, and kind of just talk about that, hash it out a little bit. Um, because to me, like, it sounds like you believe in a soul. Is, is that right? Like we all have a soul. I do. 
Okay. That, because the soul concept for me is one of the biggest parts that I'm, biggest reasons why I'm a naturalist uh, and an atheist is because um, every everything that I've seen when it comes to psychology and neurology and everything like that is, it doesn't seem like there's a, a, necess a necessity for a soul or or room even really because it it seems like all of our personality traits our behaviors everything just stems from our brain it's almost like um we got some software on that's the mind that just um came about from the hardware which is the brain um so yeah i guess maybe explain your reasoning for for why you believe in a soul and maybe any experiences as to why well for me it is you know you can use uh, anyone could use the scientific deterministic uh, you know theory to say that everything begins with the brain right everything is a, a chemical um me personally i kind of feel it's a little reductionist now that's that's just me like uh, it's it's a, everything is a lot more nuanced than that. Uh, a computer, to use an analogy, a machine, it can't it can only follow its program, but it can't place value on things. It can't um, it can't love. It can't accept other beings outside of itself uh, as equal to itself. It doesn't. It doesn't communicate to that. It doesn't have that range of of being. In uh, life, in this universe, not just humans, but everything in uh, that we experience on this universe that and it's in this world that is that is alive has some degree of uh, those operations um, that separate us from the machine, just from a mere force or a law of nature i just feel like we're so much more than that and like i said not just humans but all of life you know uh i have uh, do you have dogs or cats or any cats, cats? three cats <laughs> the third one was an accident so <laughs> <laughs> well i have i have three dogs and it you know, not everybody feels this way, and I understand that. But for me, whenever my little Yorkie comes to me and he's staring at the back of my neck, and then I turn around and look at him, and he goes, huh? And he looks up. That is, that to me is just so much more than just his programming or a program personality to me. For me, I see soul. Okay. And I can't speak for anybody else, but it's just my perspective. It's just sure. I naturally see that there's something more that there's that, that there's a love there. So that is mm -hmm. Oh, sorry to cut you off again. Um I was I was done anyway. I mean, I was <laughs> going off under a rabbit trail. <laughs> it's hard not to really with these conversations. Um there, there's a actually a couple rabbit holes. I want to go from what you just said. Um, maybe we could just quickly address the first one because the second one is more what I'm interested in. But I, I'm curious, do you think that 
eventually, theoretically, we will get to the point where we can program AIs to to feel emotions or to love? Is that just way too sci-fi for you, or do you think that's a possibility? I don't. I don't think that that's a possibility. Uh, okay. I don't think that uh, a, a machine can entirely, you know, evolve to that direction. We evolve to this stage, mm-hmm. but the qu- big question is: Can machines evolve in the same manner? Right. You know, and it's a huge. It really is a huge question that, uh, once again, I don't have all the answers for. Number one, because I'm far far from a uh robotics engineer yeah <laughs> me too. anything of that anything of that nature so who knows what the future uh, future holds uh, in that regard i am open-minded read a lot of sci-fi you know my favorite books is azamaz bicentennial man so mm-hmm. i'm not entirely close to the idea okay um, and and nor do i think that it's scary yeah like some people think that it's going to be well, like I said, I don't want to get too bogged down on that because what's more interesting to me is so because you mentioned when you see your dog look at you, um, you see soul in the way he or she loves you. And and yeah, I, I'm not here saying that, like, you know, there's no love or deep meaning and stuff that we as humans get like we we feel very profound feelings um all the time um but i i do see it as more more related to a machine that has evolved you know um because when you look at like empathy patterns and kind of how those evolved is it started off like caring for your your own right? Your seed, your youngsters, you, because for some reason, all of life seems to want to survive and spread its seed. Like that's, that's the one objective thing pretty much to all life forms. And so empathy, it seems like it started in a place of nurturing for your offspring because you had to take care of them. And then eventually little tribes start forming, um, where, you know, Joe chops the wood down, you pick the berries, stuff like this starts happening, and your empathy starts expanding and broadening to the society as a whole, rather than just your own kids. I I understand that, you know, and I'm not entirely opposed to the idea. You know, if you consider what I said before, you know, we are evolving. And all life is evolving from the bottom up. So it's a it's a possibility that we could be have been described as machines in a sense at the beginning of our evolution, just following um, our laws, our internal laws. And but that evolution has over time brought the spirit to the surface, if you will. And you know, you put you put a theory there that empathy began with uh, the desire to care for our children. Well, we don't really know, you know. Right. We don't really know what because that's that's 
way back Stone Age, pre-Stone Age times, right? So none of us were there. It's a possibility. Yeah, it's a possibility that it could have began with the first person being injured on the trail, and then the first person looking at them and saying, "I'm going to care for them." We yep. could leave them behind, like the hobbits and the rings of power, but <laughs> we're not. We're going to care for them. <clears throat> you know, so if that was true, where did that come from? Where did that desire, that love for that other person to not just leave them behind and consider them, which natural law would dictate this person is just hindering us. We can move faster if we leave them behind. Um, our enemies are behind us. They'll slow us down and then they'll catch us. You know, so it was that uh, I think there was a decision to go against what our programming says. And I think that at that moment, when we started to uh, decide, when we started to decide for ourselves to go against what our programming tells us, I think that uh, spirit awoke sort of asleep and dormant subconscious within us, but spirit began to awake within us and started to evolve upward. Yeah. So, and you know, I agree with you completely that the theory of uh, evolution and history from millions of years ago is it's a little hard to, to know for sure, because like you said, we weren't there. We, we have our methods of investigating it. And, you know, I like to think they're pretty good methods, but, but you're absolutely right. We, we could never know for sure. Um, and I kind of agree that it does seem like it, it did branch away from our natural primal instincts to start caring for others because most wild animals are just there to eat and survive. Um, but I, I do think it almost it worked the same way as uh, biological evolution it, and um, like ideas and whatnot kind of have their own evolutionary pattern. I think, you know, like you said, there was someone along the trail one day and decided to not leave him behind. And I think there was an evolutionary advantage to that. And so it started happening more and more to where the societies grew bigger and bigger. And we realized that, man, we can get so much done as a unit and and not just be not just being completely selfish and with our own desires. That's, that's true. And, uh, you know, again, I don't have all the answers, um, but it puts me in the mind if we evolved to that point we really suck nowadays (laughs) because we are so selfish now so in a way we kind of devolved a bit since that time honestly like Um, i i think that we're a lot better than most of us think because the way media works and especially social media and stuff i i really do think that a lot of times we see the loudest voices being or the worst voices being loudest. Um, and obviously, like, with what's going on in our government right now, I it's not just about the media, because there's 
there's a lot of scary stuff happening in our government, I'll say. Um, but I do think that there is a pattern of moral progression and moral intuition. It, and I, I kind of relate it to like a stock market where there are going to be dips and there's going to be peaks and valleys, but ultimately the general trend is on an upward trend. And I, I think that we have definitely been, you know, cause you look at how women were treated like just 300 years ago or whatever, like that's not that long in the grand scheme and we've come leaps and bounds. And again, maybe, maybe we will dip a little bit here and there, but I do think there's like a general trend upward. I, I, I agree with that, you know, and uh, I, I myself even reflected that that's that evolutionary spiral, you know, of growth and with the spiral, um, mo with the spiral motion of evolution, you have those downs and those lows. You have those periods of, of while it's also moving upward and learning and growing, it's a, as a spiral, it's also returning in upon itself in the same motion. It's coming back to the same place and then trying to make better decisions and then move on back up on the upward progression. So that in itself is the spiral being a combination of the upward, the, the, the line, the uh, linear line that moves that upward direction and the circle, it combines the symbolism of both. And the circle is that symbol of uh, recycling of change, uh, um, of making the circuit around and around and around. But if there's no upward motion at the same time, we're trapped. You know, we're yeah. just basically a rat just running in the circle over and over and over again. So um, when we when we are moving in that circle and returning back to these same lessons again in our lives we have to learn from them there has to be also an upward movement at the same time not just a circle where we stay trapped in so i think that humanity does have an inward mechanism that inspires them to want to do that to want to make a change to be better okay. um, and that i agree with you Sometimes I, I lose some faith in humanity, but I yeah. do agree there is um, an impetus uh, or prompting within us to be better, to do better. We got to hope, at least. Um, <laughs> For the sake of the world. <laughs> right. So I want to get to the the Avatar thing. Because um, it sounds like pretty much... All you would say, all of us are a piece of God, and so when you say that God sends avatars to lead us and whatnot, I guess um, how does it work? Like, why why would just most of us be normal people, and then? Because, like, those avatars are also just pieces of God, right? I, I don't know if you would say there's something extra than what us normal people are. Or, so, like, did God just, like, superpower... Not, not superpower, that sounds belittling, but, like, <clears throat> just give more... 
more of this spirituality to certain people like like Buddha and Jesus and you know all those examples uh, good question and I don't see anything special uh, any special differentiation between the uh, quote unquote common um, human uh, and will be what I refer to as an avatar, uh, what others refer to as avatars. Uh, they are my brain fart. Let me use Jesus as an example, because, you know, I'm, despite not being a Christian, I love the unconventional ideas of Jesus and, and, and all that. So the church uh, that overhauled Jesus's social movement um it started to debate well how much of jesus is god and how much of jesus was man and they eventually came to the conclusion once again a natural to us of a paradox that god is that jesus was 100 percent god and that he is also simultaneously a hundred percent man now here's the kicker that's the same that's true for all of us. The only difference between Jesus and other avatars and us is that they um, had experiences in their life that caused them to be radically, I'm talking about radically open to the universe. Okay. And that's not something that can be said for everybody because a lot of us are so stuck in what we want to believe and what we feel comfortable with. And these were just human beings that were willing to say, you know, there's a bigger, there's a bigger story here. And it is phenomenal to think of that too, because these people grew up in religious backgrounds, using Jesus as an example, he grew up in a Jewish background, followed the Jewish law, and in every aspect um and yet he himself had a, a personal journey where he's like this isn't all to the story and that was a rarity because with the religious programming uh like of judaism and other monotheistic polytheistic type religions there's no room for questioning um and so these humans were willing to question they were also willing to be persecuted by the orthodoxy for question uh so <clears throat> there's like i said there's no in, no difference between us and them it's just that they were more open-hearted to the idea of there being a bigger story a bigger idea of god than what they were familiar with, what they grew up with. Uh, all the avatars were universalists. They were not, even though they followed their religions, they were not stuck in them. So would you say, do you, do you believe like all the miracle aspects of these avatars? Like, would you say that <clears throat> Jesus did resurrect or do you, do you think that's part of just the church's undertaking to build um kind of a mythology and whatnot to follow 
ask you though, do you think uh, magic could have any place in the universe? Not as in Fantasia, Mickey Mouse, and the Mops, you know, and all that stuff, but a real mental process that if you are mentally strong enough that you can alter reality. You can alter your own reality or at least create an illusion that you have altered that reality to the people around you. Um, so, you know, anything along those lines, I think could still fit perfectly in, in um, a naturalistic universe. So even like a lot of, I have a lot of friends who, who kind of believe in like the law of attraction type. That kind of sounds like similar to what you're yeah. saying. It um, is a new age watered down version of old uh, natural philosophy magic. Yeah, so um, yeah. I think uh, I'm not like close to something like that existing. I but but I think if it is real, again, it can be completely naturalistic. There's just maybe laws of physics that we humans don't understand yet within the universe, um, and maybe certain people understood it back then, like you're saying. Um, but even then. I don't see a lot of evidence of it because I've tried the manifesting thing. I've, you know, like I said, I've been through a big spiritual journey, um, you know, and, and maybe I'm the problem, but I think that gets pretty dangerous. That That's kind of what I don't like about religions in the first place. It's like, if God's not talking to you, you must be doing something wrong. Like you're the broken one. Right. So yeah, and that's the use of the guilt trip and a manipulation by a lot of religions. Well, you don't have enough faith, so you didn't get healed. Blah blah right. blah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I think that you know that's possible. I think it was Arthur C. Clarke that said something to the effect that magic is just simply science that we don't understand yet. Exactly. So yeah, um, but that too. Keeping in mind that Jesus was visited by three magi or magicians, um, well, three traditionally, it was probably more than that. But um, these, if, if that's true, that these are naturalistic explanations, that's even more profound because that means that these were people that were radically ahead of their time. Like they shouldn't even be in our times, they should be from our future, and yet they were from our past so right so no wonder they were persecuted it's like everybody was scratching their heads <laughs> yeah who are these freaks right <laughs> um I, I think you maybe kind of cut out a little bit when you were um answering the last question I, i'm not sure i didn't catch what you said um but it, it sounds like maybe are you kind of just agnostic to the miracles and like the resurrection you just it could go either way for you, or did you say you do believe that, like, the resurrection happened? It's agnostic for me. Okay. Uh, once again, I don't know. You know, uh, I've heard a theory that the uh, the four Gospels were just simply Midrash, uh, which is, to put it simply, Midrash is like um, Jewish Sunday school lessons. You know, there are stories that are meant to point to lessons from um, 
sources behind the text. You know, most often the Old Testament with some of the more open-minded rabbis that were kind of in the closet, probably the older, they were inspired by the older religions that inspired the Old Testament. But uh, that is, to me, I think that is a, more of a possibility even than a literal interpretation of everything that Jesus, Jesus did. Uh, you look at the story of uh, the walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water. It's one of the most profound and beautiful stories to me in the in the New Testament. Uh, did Jesus literally walk on the water? Agnostically, perhaps. If he would, if if uh, natural philosophy, if the type of magic that Eliphas Levi or Aleister Crowley taught has any reality to it, uh, this possibility. Hell, it's a possibility he could have been an alien, and who knows what he could have, could have done. But the most possible explanation is, is that these are just stories that yeah. are meant to point to deeper lessons. Yeah. And, you know, with the walking on the water, the lesson with that was keep your head up. Basically, you know, don't lose hope. Uh, hold on to what uh, light that you have in your life that you're able to see and don't sink. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And it's so applicable hmm. to every age that we're in. That's interesting so, because like, I, I've never looked at the walking on water story with, with that profoundness, I guess. Um, Cause this is when like, there was a storm with his apostles on the boat, right? And he came walking on the water, and he scared the hell out of him. Is that, <laughs> right. is that a ghost? <laughs> and that's see, that's kind of how I always read it. Was like, it almost seems like he's just showing off a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've you know maybe there is a deeper meaning that I that I didn't catch, like kind of what you were saying. So that's that's a cool thought. Um, so part of our journey, yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah, sorry. I time just passes so fast doing this. I I, I could talk for hours. Um, oh, it's such a limited window, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I want to kind of touch on one more thing with you, and then give you the opportunity maybe to ask anything back to me that you might disagree with or whatnot. Um, also, just if anyone's watching, like. Please leave a comment if you have any question for me or Alan. Um, I'll read it out loud. And uh, soon, too, and people in the audience, we could bring on for some questions. Um, but yeah, kind of the last thing I wanted to touch on was scriptures in general. Because, um, you know, most religions think that they, they're kind of God-breathed through humans. Um would you say that you you view scripture as written by God or just men attempting to interpret God? Um, yeah. I would say that the uh, meaning of uh, the, idea, the idea of the scripture being God-breathed reflects that second aspect. It's not directly written by God. 
and going back to some of my earlier statements, none of us can ever understand the nature of complete reality. So that is um, with scripture, with any scripture, not just the Bible, but any world scripture. Um, it's just a reflection of humans understanding of that fractal reality. You know, if we were to mentally picture, we would see it more like a fractal or mentally a fractal. It's impossible to understand. So uh, it is inspired. But then the, there's a lot of script, a lot of uh, literature outside of those religious texts that I believe is inspired too. You know, I don't think that, uh, I think that anything that inspires human beings, whether it is a, uh, a beautifully written book, a profound philosophy, a uh, a meaningful piece of art. Sure. Um, those are all inspirations from God. Um, and I view it in some way, I view all of those things as so, in some way a word from God. So um, I guess where I get hung up here is if they were inspired by this love and morality that would be a divine God. I don't understand how they could have messed certain parts up so badly because I don't know if you agree with this or not, but in my opinion, there are a lot of things in the Bible that I would view as not coming from an all loving divine being, but more being emotions of men and i guess if you believe in like an evil force then then you could maybe say they were influenced by that um so what are your thoughts there i don't think there was like a quote unquote evil force um necessarily um even the, what we think of as a good force isn't what we think of it is you know because god is only indirectly through evolution uh through our inward promptings um you know, influencing us is not not directly, um, you know, influencing reality and uh, in any any dramatic manner. So, uh, the there are a lot of dark things um, in scriptures, and in all in my studies of different world scriptures, I have to agree the Bible can be the darkest. You know, there's there's a lot of scriptures out there that are beautiful and they're like, well, there's nothing bad in here. But then you read the Bible and you're like, what? Yeah. And I think what it is, is that even the most uh, even the most open minded of us can sometimes stop listening to the truth within ourselves and that we'll start listening to our own ego. And I think that's what happened in uh, biblical scripture is that there was those ups and downs that you spoke of before. There was points in the, uh, I want to say interaction, because they sat down and, you know, they put themselves into a contemplative state where they were open, right? But as they started writing and getting into it, Sometimes their own prejudices prejudices would take over and filter through it. That's interesting that you say you don't really believe in 
kind of a counter counter force or even a good force at that um have you ever read like the Tao Te Ching and Eastern spiritual texts like that? Uh, not in depth. I'm starting to get into it uh, with, within the last uh, two months. I uh, got several translations of the Tao Te Ching. Okay. Um, but I understand where you where you're going with that. You know, if you can conceive, uh, the Tao teaches. You know, if you can conceive of a concept of God or good or evil or anything of that nature. It's not the true concept. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, I was also going to add that it does seem like in most religions or philosophical thought, um, you know, kind of ways of life is more what I'd call Taoism, not necessarily a religion. Um, but it does seem like every thought like that has some sort of balance between a good and evil, you know, whether that's the devil and God, hell and heaven, um, or with the Tao Te Ching, it's just, there's a balance basically in the way, you know, and it has to maintain balance. And even, you know, even karma kind of like is maintaining a balance between the two forces, um, so yeah, I just thought it, it was interesting that you think, I don't know, I guess, would you just relate that to God balancing itself out and there's, but there's not really a good or bad force? Um, yeah, it's sort of a balance there, uh, in the creative act of the universe, you know, scientists called a big bang. There was this momentary you know, trillionth of a second, if you will, where one thing became two before it became everything, right? And so in that point where one thing became two, that's where whenever differences were created, that's where the possibility of evil came in. It wasn't a direct action. It was like, okay, now there's two things and the devil pops into the stage and there's a man... Uh, you know, two people floating out in space and one of them has horns. That's stupid. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> Maybe a little but, metaphorical, though. Yeah, especially if one of uh, the, the good guys uh, is on a white horse in space. Uh, <laughs> it's rather ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, that differentiation is what left us open to the possibility of, well, you're you look different from me. Uh, you act different for me. You sound different for me. I don't like you. Yeah. You know, so it was the seabed for that. And it wasn't an active creation of an evil force. It's just a, a part of the natural law. And, you know, you could say that without those aspects, you know, you love, you know, you fully know love because of its contrasting uh, factor. If we didn't, you know, if we didn't have, uh, hate, love would just be what is, mm -hmm. right? And we wouldn't recognize it as the the beauty that it is. We wouldn't have the profound, deep uh, philosophical theories about what love is if we did not have that contrasting factor to make us appreciate, hey, love is freaking awesome. <laughs> 
Right. You know, and I hear I hear a lot of people say similar things like this, like, you know, as far as a Christian dealing with the problem of evil, it is kind of that whole, like, you can't appreciate goodness without the suffering. And I, I, I don't just deny that that's true, but I, I've been chewing on it for a little bit and I wonder, I wonder if it really is true. And how could how could we ever know what the other world would look like like how could we know that we still wouldn't get pleasure and love and enjoyment in a world without suffering it almost seems like we're just ad hoc explaining that because suffering is so traumatic we we almost have to have a justification for it but you know i think it's possible that a world could exist without so much suffering and we could still appreciate it. So I, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that's part of the, uh, our journey and evolution. Uh, we will eventually get to the place where we're able to relieve suffering. And I'm, I'm going to borrow from Buddhism here. Buddhism uh, doesn't answer this question about where suffering comes from. Uh, Buddhism looks at suffering and says, okay, it exists. We don't know where it came from. We're not going to debate that because we'll be here forever. Yeah. What are we going to do about it? That's the only fundamental question that Buddhism addresses. It doesn't go into any debates. It says, regardless of where suffering came from, regardless of where evil came from, uh, we're here to resist it. We're here to relieve the suffering. And I think that we'll get to a, a place as a species where, uh, like I said, that's the point of our evolution, where, like you said, we will uh, reach maybe not a complete end to all suffering, but it'll be a profoundly better world. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like that uh, that concept in Buddhism. Um, from a naturalistic standpoint, I see it. Similarly, um, I just, I view a lot of our primal instincts and natural tendencies and whatnot as stuff that does kind of hold us back. And um, if we were able to transcend and evolve past that, there would be less suffering. So I do think some religions are a little onto something, you know, like Christianity frames it as sin, but I think that's terrible to teach children that you're just this broken sinful monster who needs a savior um but but at the base level i understand the concept of like overcoming and transcending these natural urges that potentially hold us back or cause us to harm people and and whatnot so um i want to give you the chance if you would like to ask me anything if you have any questions about my naturalism or atheism or any disagreements uh and then we can move into some questions from some other people okay that'd be great um thanks second um okay i think of the big bang you know we we're talking about the Big Bang. So in the light of that, uh, the evidence for the Big Bang origin of the universe, 
um, do you think it's more reasonable to believe that no one created something out of nothing or that someone created something out of nothing? Um, so this kind of stems back to what uh, one of the first things I said about how every single worldview eventually runs into a wall where either God's eternal, something's... I don't think something can come from nothing, so I do think that at some point there there has to exist some eternality um, at, of some kind. Like, whether that's our universe or forces outside. I kind of mentioned briefly that I think the Big Bang came from an even bigger cosmos with quantum fluctuations and, you know, just physics that we have no idea how to understand or even how to inquire about them yet. Um, and, and who knows if we will for sure, but, but I do think that something has to exist eternally. I just think it, it's, it can be natural. Just like if God can exist naturally, I think so can the cosmos. some degree you would say it's a possibility that you know when you look at this universe and something in you says maybe there's some intelligence here do you, do you think that that could call for an intelligent designer um or, or rather a super intelligent a super intelligent design i if you're referring to us like our intelligence um coming from a bigger intelligence is that is that kind of what you're getting at right uh, I, is our like our our intelligence is a, a reflection of that if you will like young said you know uh, uh to the effect that the surest way to lose your soul is to believe in a god outside of yourself sure um so i i i forget who this quote comes from I wish I was better at remembering quotes, but um, there was someone who who said like the hallmark of an intelligent of a great design is actually not complexity. It's actually some a design that's very simple and functions properly. It with the simplicity about it um, is actually the hallmark of a better design. And when I look at our biology and just all the different problems, whether it be cancer, um, stuff like that, you know, even just like my breathing hole is directly linked to my eating hole and how easy it is to just choke just from feeding yourself. I, it doesn't seem like an intelligent design to me, uh, either that or it was intentionally designed poorly, which is almost weirder, I guess. That's that's true, you know, and here we have the evolutionary progression, you know, that things get better. So there may be a possibility one day in our evolution that we could develop separate, uh, I'm dirty-minded, we could develop separate holes. <laughs> you know, so there's there's a growth there and um and upward change and i think that it's 
you know, those flaws in our design will eventually be uh, sorted out. Huh. That, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I, you know, with the whole intelligent design thing, um, like I get why people would say if we have intelligence, how could that not be a reflection or come from more intelligence? But again, along somewhere down the line, you're going to have this god character who has intelligence that wasn't designed. He just existed. So, so if that's the case, then that means intelligence doesn't necessarily need a creator. That's true. Uh, but then we're we're thinking of. We're still stuck in this idea that of uh, monotheism of uh, a strictly literal creator God. And once again, we go back to this dual aspect that I've mentioned before. Um, there's a part of God that is absolute and outside of our universe. Um, so despite whatever creative act that there might have been, that paradoxical aspect of god uh as an identity to itself is not involved with our universe only the uh other side the the part that is the spirit within matter is and it too is only as an intel is only as intelligent as we allow our evolution to let it be yeah uh, we have we can we can go back in time and we can you know we can devolve and we can just become worse or we can become better so there's no there's no intelligent designer literally looking at it and say ha 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 i've made you effed up you know and jokes on you um you know make yourself better or die you know if you look at it literally that's kind of the attitude and god is kind of a of a, a prick um but the creative aspects of god the creative actions of god are not as conscious they're more unconscious so it's not it's not a, a direct creation where god is saying these things or uh anything of that nature okay um did i satisfy uh, or i guess you can at least understand where where i'm coming from on that or did you have any other follow-ups about my my answers? Well, I know. <clears throat> I just wanted to address one more thing because this is such a, a such a hot button, um, you know, issue. Yeah. But it's very it's very it's very important. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of evidence that despite what uh, the debate uh, around the figure, I do think that there is evidence that there was a person, uh, a rabbi named Jesus Christ, if you will, who lived, died. Um, so even the theologian Irenaeus, who was considered unorthodox, provided one of the earliest accounts and he said that uh, you know there was this man named Jesus that 
taught for three years and then he retired. He went up into the mountain and symbolically died like a lot of these prophets do. They died to their ego. Uh, and he lived into his 70s. So there's a lot of a lot of unconventional ideas, but there's a lot of evidence that there was someone who existed that we could call Jesus. So do you think that that yourself that that person existed despite what we may or may not know about um yeah i wouldn't say i'm a mythicist when it comes to the bible or jesus although i've heard some convincing arguments about uh, mysticism but i yeah i think the evidence points more towards an actual jesus existing um you know i think Back in that day, I think that there were probably a lot of different prophets and, um, you know, even doomsday prophets and stuff. Because because the Old Testament had so many prophecies, there was a lot of opportunity for different prophets to pop up and and preach about those things. Um, so yeah, I have, I have no problem with Jesus actually existing and even being... A loving person saying that we need to give to the poor and all of that, which I I really wish the the entire Christian nation as a whole could adopt that idea from Jesus because I think it's one of the best things he ever talked about was giving to the poor. Like the wealth gap in our country is really sad to me. Um, sorry, that's a, a side tangent, but yeah, I I have no problem with with most of the things in the Bible being real, I just don't think eyewitness testimony is enough evidence to to buy supernatural claims. So when, when it comes to that, the miracles and stuff, I think we need a little bit more. Like, I just, like, why, maybe a, another avatar in our modern day, if we saw miracles now, I would be more inclined to accept the ones that happened back then. I'll use, I'll use an example. There's a lady in India. Uh, they call her Amma, A-M-M-A, which is the, uh, the Sanskrit for mother. Um, this woman has been witnessed to take people's diseases upon herself. And in doing so, she will become sick with whatever um whatever she takes upon herself and over a period of time she will burn it out of her system huh. and hundreds of thousands of people have followed her and many people have witnessed this so <clears throat> i'm not saying that she's an avatar for sure you know but I think that that are avataric aspects of uh, a betterment, the physical, emotional betterment, healing. Uh, I think that they are in some degree present. It's not always as common. We can wonder, well, why isn't everybody healed? Yeah. Uh, well, no, nobody is to blame. Nobody is to blame for that. It's once again governed by natural law and in this evolutionary subconscious progression 
God isn't directing it. So it's kind of happenstance, if you will. Well, that sounds um, like a really cool. Um, I, in fact, if you have a really a, a good article or a good source about that, I would love to read it and look at it. Um, you know, this Discord's a really cool community app where, um, you know, even we can even talk in the text. You know, we don't always have to get on the stage and whatnot. If you look through like the religion chat, we've linked all sorts of articles and everything. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, I would I would love for you to link link that into the religion chat. So if people wanted to, and me especially, I want to go go read about that woman and see see what it says. Absolutely, and uh, you know, not every article is the different, but I, I would definitely. Um, look and see if I can find something that, you know, is really descriptive. Probably the best source would be to go to, you know, ama.org. Yeah, <laughs> she has her own website. Ama.org. Uh, for crying out loud. So there is ama.org, A-M-M-A.org. Um, you can learn learn a lot about her. Uh, her um, that's not her complete name, and I can't really pronounce it, but it's something like... So IMA, IMA dot org. A, M M A. Dot org. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll just go ahead and link this page in the chat then, um, okay. and I'll probably just read it later. Obviously. Cool. Well, honestly, Alan, I think you're an awesome addition to this Who is Sky Daddy uh, community. I I really want to just keep finding more and more people who who enjoy these conversations and can do it respectfully. And, you know, even if things get spicy-ish, like, I still think you can maintain respect. Um so yeah, I really I really appreciate you coming. I want to open up the floor to anyone in the audience to raise their hand if they have any questions. Uh, right away, I'm going to bring Josh on. And I apologize, everyone. I've been drinking a lot of water. So while Josh takes it away, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. No problem. Hey, Josh. Uh, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Um, I just wanted to start this off by saying I really appreciate, um, for lack of a better word, your agnosticism on a lot of different fronts. I think the most common refrain that I've heard from you over the last hour has been that you don't have all the answers, um, which I really appreciate. I think it's getting increasingly hard to find people like that um, in, in the world today. And so I really appreciate that a lot about you. And I'm going to be going down the the rabbit hole of this for quite a few hours to come because this is fascinating and a lot of very new information for me. Um, but I think first question I wanted to ask you, um, I think you very briefly mentioned very early on here in this podcast, your identity as a gay man. Um, if you're comfortable talking about it, I wanted to hear how, if at all, that identity has played a role for you in your spiritual journey over the years. Um, in some ways it has affected it uh, directly 
I would say that my self-identity uh, is, uh, you know, I, I never like to label myself, but I mean, it's just accurate. I am gay, you know, but uh, that self-realization or this place in my life where I realized something was different about me was part of what started to tear down the walls um, between me and uh, accepting other beliefs. I never was a, a really closed-minded person, uh, but it definitely made me realize that something isn't completely on the up and up about the belief system that I'm in. And I'm going to go and seek for some broader truths, uh, you know, go outside of my box and see if there's anything else that I can discover. So, yeah, it, it did affect it a lot because of the lack of acceptance that I had within that religion. Uh, it, what's the word? Uh, it, uh, it disillusioned me. Is that the word? It disillusioned me from yeah. Christianity. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it affected it a, it a lot. It's not the complete uh, defining point of my identity. I'm, you know, a multi-faceted person, as we all are. Mm. Um, but it definitely had a, a huge effect on my spiritual journey. Awesome. Yeah. And you also mentioned you were raised in Mississippi. Were you raised Southern Baptist specifically? Not Southern. Uh, there's a branch called uh, Independent Baptists. Which okay. uh, independent Baptists, they uh, do not affiliate with an organization like the Southern Baptists or other Baptist groups do. So each church operates independently from each other uh, with their own governing system. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. That was the defining difference. Cool. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. I think as a gay man myself as well, I had a a similar journey too, because I didn't come out until I was 20. Um, but it was definitely a really good way to start breaking down a lot of those barriers that had been there in my childhood growing up in Christianity. And it was good to just kind of redefine my entire worldview and everything. Um, so even outside of re religion, faith, and spirituality, I think it was a good way to start in a sense, de deconstructing and questioning everything. Um, so I, I appreciate that we that we shared that perspective there. So thanks for sharing that. And thank you, thank you for being here. I I, I really appreciate you. Um, you know, coming here and you know, uh, being willing to listen to me rattle on and on and on and go down rabbit trails and bore you to <laughs> death. <laughs> no, this has been awesome. I've loved this. But, you know, and, and um, you know, I congratulations, I mean, for lack of a, a, a better term, you know, I've been on my own journey and I, I had similar journey, but, you know, I'm not to sound like a dad, but I'm proud of you, you know, for coming out and being strong enough to be able to face that being, you know, it's just, it's kind of similar to the, these avatars that I talked about. Uh, they were willing to speak their truth and be who they were, despite how people treated them. And it, take, it takes a lot of courage, and I admire you for that. And, and really, thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
Thank you. And, and same to you as well. It takes a lot of boldness and courage to come out and everything. And so that's, it's a really important life step. So, I mean, I, I definitely would say that I'm, I'm proud of you as well. I think that it's an awesome thing that we share within, within the gay community to have that same coming out experience and everything. Um, so that's awesome. Um, you know, I also wanted to ask too, since um, I live in the state of Utah, um, I was not raised Mormon, but it is definitely a big part of the state here. And I'm sure once once Keaton's back, he'd love to hear. Oh, I'm back. Sorry, too. I oh, didn't want oh, to interrupt. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay cool. Um, I wanted to hear a bit more about um, Alan's beliefs when it comes to the Mormon Church and avatars such as Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and all of that. And if you've done some research into them, I'd be curious to hear more about um, what you believe about the Mormon Church. That's a great question. Honestly, I don't know a lot about it. And, and, you know, my mental processes sometimes, you know, I sometimes I only remember what inspires me. Right. I only remember mm -hmm. more or less concretely what uh, touches that nerve within me. It's like, wow, that's a beautiful thought. Right. So I haven't really delved too much into Mormonism. So, I mean, I might be wrong here. I might be confusing it with some of the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. I often do because they're both fanatical proselytizers in, in, in that similar aspect. Um, but isn't it true that they, uh, two things that I've heard about, uh, heard about them is that they seem, uh, they seem a part of God that Christians, some Christians refer to as the Shekinah, they see it as feminine in an aspect. Is that true? Um, I think this is a question for Keaton, probably. I, I wasn't raised in the church, so I honestly don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't recognize, what was the word you said that started with an S? A Shekinah. Like, it's the Old Testament word for the, uh, the spirit that dwells within nature, what the New Testament oh. Christians call the Holy Spirit. It's very heavily based around the Holy Spirit, but I wouldn't say it's related to nature at all or a matriarch or like a feminine um, spirit. It's very patriarchal. Uh, like like only, only the men can have the priesthood. Um, for some reason, only men are capable of wielding the superpowers. I don't know why, but so yeah, I'm not. I don't know if that was an answer or not, but um, they def. It's very heavily or heavily based around the Holy Ghost, though. So for sure, um, you know, and I and I've wondered something else too, and I know this for sure. I know that although I don't know every aspect of it. I do know that the Mormons uh, believe in life on other planets. It gets it gets tricky there. <laughs> There's a lot of different interpretations of how that works. But yeah, kind of the idea is if you behave well enough and follow the gospel and the, the rituals of marrying in the temple and all that, um, and you make it to the celestial kingdom, basically you're granted the ability to create your own world. So I don't 
know if it's clear whether all of these different worlds are within our universe or if that means they go off to another universe and make their own world. Um, that part's not so clear. Though it yep. does, uh, I think the Book of Mormon somewhere says that God lives on Kolob, like like he actually lives on a planet somewhere. So it is. I think as flawed as that their understanding of it is, I think that's actually as close to depth as that the Mormon Church could get. They, that's a pretty deep thought. Yeah. And you know, despite how flawed it is, it says a lot that uh, a belief system. You know, from the time that it was with people that were even more closed minded than we are, would say that even other habitable planets are even possible. You know, so, I mean, it's actually a pretty deep idea. Uh, I'm not completely drawn to it, but it's a pretty beautiful idea that and the Mormon churches are the only two things I really like about the Mormons. The, the temples, <laughs> the, you, you mean? Yeah, they're beautiful buildings. I mean, they're like something out of space. You know, I agree a lot of them are pretty beautiful, but it puts... It kind of makes me sick because they make so much money and half of the temples that are stamped all over in different countries hardly get used. They're literally there as a stamp of, like, we're here. And I'm just like that money could go to so many good things and here it is being spent on stone and grant like wooded halls that you know it, it's a double-edged sword because it they are beautiful but i just i just think it's so unnecessary for any organization to be that wealthy and like they own massive amounts of land they basically own utah and they, it was even just discovered that they've been like reinvesting some money into stocks and stuff. So, yeah, I I, I guess that's all I have to say there. I, I agree. You know, as beautiful as they are, they're uh, much more important things in this world. And I would rather see us go back to our ancestors' times where we were worshiping. Uh, quote unquote worshiping or whatever we did rituals in um stone circles and in tree groves out yeah. in nature um there's no money spent there unless you know you're larping you know <laughs> ropes can get expensive but uh no that's a good point and and there's something about nature too besides that like you know the human experience when in nature for well, not for everyone but you know, a lot of people just feel euphoric and whatnot, being touching the gir the ground. You know, that's the, that's the natural connection, and and I kind of, uh, I kind of drawn to that because of my own beliefs that there's an aspect of God that's evolutionary within nature. Uh, it's possible to touch that, to feel that in some uh, to some degree. I think. You know, when we're out in nature, anytime, even when it's such a simple thing as looking at uh, a lake with a mountain to borrow the stereotype, you know, and you're there and witnessing it and you're like, whoa, you know, that 
profoundness that you feel, that uh, that awe that you feel, that is in some. You're touching that divinity in some way. I think. So, um, actually, Josh kind of made me think of a question because he was asking what your thoughts were about like the avatar Joseph Smith. And you probably don't know a whole lot about his actual history of founding the church. You know, a lot of what he did was, it seemed like a big motivation for him was to marry as many young girls as possible. Um, and obviously make money off of what with the 10% tithe and stuff. And so it just seems that there are certain people who get corrupted. Of, so it's kind of what I was trying to ask you earlier. Like you, you see these good avatars as like so open to the divinity and kind of um, embracing it, I guess, giving us a good example but there, there, to me, there would have to be a counter to that. Like, the guys like Hitler and, you know, all of these very evil humans, what kind of avatars are they to you? Like, are they... What are they being corrupted by? Uh, well, like I said, the... Uh, we go back to the, the origin of evil whenever one thing became two things and it's not a conscious uh it's not a conscious evil so uh these people whether they uh, come quote unquote good or bad which are our relative terms uh they're touching a subconscious part of themselves uh and it's filtered many times through their own ego uh, use Hitler for an example. He truly, honestly, genuinely believed in good faith that the Jewish people were out to destroy not just Germany, but Europe, right? In good faith, he really genuinely believed that. It doesn't change that what he did uh, was evil. It, it still was. Uh, but he touched an unconscious uh, partial truths within his own mind, and then he took it and he run with it and filtered it through his own prejudices. Uh, a lot of us, a lot of people do that. That's really, uh, that's really interesting to me, because it sounds like even though you believe in God, you're actually a moral relativist. Yeah, because... I think even the Bible supports that. Um, look at Genesis and go back to the very quote-unquote beginning in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Well, what is that? You know, uh, that tree of knowledge and good and evil is the point in our evolution where we began to put relative terms to things as good and evil simply so you know how that began or whatever uh we symbolically ate it might have been a mushroom um <laughs> something happened where we began to put those values on things yeah that's that's really interesting because so most 
every single God believer I've talked to believes in objective morality. It's basically what God says is moral and what he says not to do isn't. Um, not in the book. The thing is, it's not in a book in, in anywhere in any completeness. Uh, some of the religious texts and even literature outside of the uh, religious texts will reflect some aspects of the truth, but the real word of God, the real law that we uh, follow is conscience. And well, I think most people would agree in general consensus with, with a few aberrations of natural law is that our natural law is to know, hey, it's wrong to murder somebody. So, you know, this... it's wrong to hate somebody for their race or religion. You know, most people know this intuitively, even the most religious, but they're so trapped in wanting to be right, they would rather sacrifice their sense of humanity for their uh, religious convictions. This might actually take you by surprise a little bit um, because I understand when it comes to moral relativism that practically speaking in our society and when it comes to utility and whatnot, we can figure it out through moral relativism, you know, as basically as long as we can agree to a goal like, you know, reducing suffering or whatever, then we can make objective claims on how to get there. Um, so practically speaking, I think it can be used in a society, but when it comes to more philosophical discussions and the ontology behind everything, I actually am a moral realist. I believe in objective morality. And that probably surprises you since I'm an atheist. No, not at all. I mean, and I'm, uh, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I don't want you to get, get confused over my terms, but in some degree, um, I am an objection. Uh, ugh, ugh, I'm stumbling over the words. Object. Um, what you said, <laughs> a, a, mor a moral object objective or a moral, real uh, moral realist or realist. Yes. Uh, so uh, me and acknowledging that the real law that we follow is internal in nature. There is an absolute right within us. Right. It's not entirely relative. It's just our interpretations that we express through art or literature. Uh, those are relative, but yeah. the internal law uh, that even the Bible talks about, the last book of the Old Testament, I think is Malachi, is, uh, has God saying that uh, I will write my law within their hearts. Hmm. Yeah. And there will, there will be no one anywhere that will say, hey, go worship God here or God is over here or God is over there, but everybody will worship God in their own way and in, on their own mountain. Um, and this is in the Bible, incredibly open-minded, uh, uh, belief. Yeah. I'm... Even most Christians won't even engage because if you really take that for what it is, that's new age, satanic globalism. 
oh my God, everybody has the right to worship how they want and speak to God uh, with their own knowledge. Oh no, you know. So, but it's in the Bible. But these very people that follow the Bible won't acknowledge it. Well, I'm glad you brought up that verse because I think, um, from as far as I've heard, actually the whole writing the moral code onto our hearts or whatever that does that seems to be their their interpretation of objective morality so i think that's probably where it comes from and why they do believe it's objective um but yeah it's i think uh i would actually like to have josh back on again someday because i'm i'm pretty sure he's He's a moral relativist, and I I definitely believe in moral realism. I think it could be a, a good little disagreement to talk about. I think so, too. That would be, be awesome. Yeah, I would definitely be down to do that. That sounds awesome. Cool. Well, this has been awesome. We've been going for about an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to suck up too much of anyone's time. Um I do I do like to ask my guests um you know one of their favorite inspirational books or scriptures or YouTube video whatever it may be that you would recommend God, that's a huge question <laughs> I have over 300 books yeah. I don't even have shelves enough for them <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> It's kind of not for everybody um, but I, I would recommend studying, uh, Romano, uh, Egyptian hermeticism, beginning with, uh, a text that is called the, uh, Tabula Smaragdina, or the Emerald Tablet. Uh, it explains a lot of these basic laws. It's just a short paragraphical text. Uh, there's on Amazon, there's a a little green covered version of it that has like a dozen translations of it. Um, but it is a, a good foundational text to kind of understand a, if not a panentheist view uh, of God, at least a, a, a pantheist, you know, that, that nature is in, in some manner divine. Okay. Uh, you know, and this emerald tablet is where we get this term as above, so below, as without, so within. It, it is a really a profoundly deep text and one of our most ancient ones. And if anything, whenever you're starting a spiritual journey, at least for me, I found it uh, beneficial to begin as much as at the beginning as I could and then move my way forward, right? So I, I started with ancient texts. Yeah. And it's not it's not for everybody. Like I said, uh, it will leave you scratching your head, some people. Uh, but I would start with that and uh, do some research into the philosophy at the same time because this text is philosophical. It's not a literal text. Okay. Uh, it is a symbolic text of alchemy. 
cool. uh, which in turn, which in turn was just ancient psychology. That's all alchemy was. Um, alchemy was not about the literal uh, turning of uh, base matter into gold. Uh, that was a symbol of turning the things within you that you don't like, that you consider flaws, uh, into gold, turning that, that lead into gold within yourself. Uh, cool. Well, yeah. I'm not saying every, everything is a flaw. You know, those can be relative terms because you can look at yourself and say, I don't like myself. Not all of those self uh, self reflections are entirely true, but we can all better ourselves in some way. And that text with its alchemical, psychological interpretation gives some clues to how we can make that internal transformation. All right. Well, I put it on my my book list that's ever growing. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also, I, I know you said you had uh, YouTube and you have a TikTok as well. So I want to, if you want to, I want to give you the chance to share that with anyone. Um, as well as if you link it to me in Discord, I'll I'll put it in my actual YouTube description for people to find. I don't have anything on my uh, YouTube. Uh, I just use YouTube as a tool to to learn. Uh, there's too much broad censorship on YouTube that is sometimes so petty that I'm like I opted out of you know, going on to YouTube and making any videos of that nature. I use it entirely as a learning tool, uh, you know, as my connection to listen to uh, people like you, you know, and, and other podcasts. Yeah. Uh, and my tick, I, honestly, I don't get on social media that much. I don't have a Facebook. I don't have a Twitter. It's just toxic to me. Yeah. Personally. No, I, um, I get it. And my TikTok is just me playing around, making some AI art, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's not, you know, that that in-depth that in depth there. You know, like I said before, this is the first time I've done anything like this. Yeah. So. No, honestly, it's fairly new for me, too. I feel like I took too long to, you know, finally put myself out there and, and do something like this. Um but yeah, I mean, if you don't want to share anything, that's totally cool. I just want to make sure that window is open. So if you do have any links, you can you can send them to me. If if not, then I really appreciate it. I, I hope you stick around in the community and even uh, join up on some of the future talks to, to ask questions. Tomorrow I'm talking to um, someone who tampers with astrology a bit I, I don't know for sure how much she believes about it but yeah i i just i want this community to grow into people who love talking and listening to stuff like this if you if you know of anyone else that would want to have a conversation or or join the community and and that goes for anyone out there listening then yeah please please send them this way I believe you're doing a great thing here. 
you honestly, not to uh, puff you up, but you're a really cool guy. You know, you're rare. You are a rarity because there's so much toxic material on social media. And there's a lot of people from, you know, even both religious and atheist backgrounds that are doing nothing but arguing and bickering. And so you are honestly a wonderful rarity and a breath of fresh air to be able to have these discussions. And I really wish uh, you the best with that. And I hope that you're. Uh, platform grows exponentially uh, you're able to get people not just regular folks like me but i hope that you're able to eventually get some big names well i really you know. appreciate that man that's that means a lot for real i there are a lot of toxic atheists and and believers and you know sometimes i worry that some of my humorous tiktoks are offensive and stuff but I, I I do try to listen to people and um, you know that that Wilhelm guy. The, you know I'm so happy I'm so happy he was doing that and trolling so hard because it I feel like it allowed me to invite you on to hear. Um, I don't know if I would have asked you if if there wasn't a big back and forth there. So it's kind of for a good reason. Yeah, we should thank Wilhelm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining. Appreciate all you guys. And uh, hope to catch you tomorrow, even. All right. And uh, I thank you, Josh, for being here. I know there was somebody else. Uh, I'm not sure, if, uh, you know, who they were or anything. There was somebody else in the audience, but I appreciate you being here, too, and listening. And uh, I wish y'all a good day. I- yeah. And, and bless. All right. Thanks, Alan. Talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys. Um, Bye. Nobody really believes they're evil. They don't believe they are, but people can be wrong. 